As 2019 draws to a close, we look at the end of a transformative decade in geek culture. We saw the rise of shared universes and the failure of many others, the return of Star Wars, nine video game consoles, the arrival of Twitch, the rise of streaming and esports. We had endings to series and shows like Lost, Game of Thrones, or Harry Potter, beginnings like Watchmen or Frozen. We listened to music from Avicii, Taylor Swift, Mumford & Sons, even a musical about the guy on the $10 bill. We saw tech like the iPad, the smartwatch, and the Amazon Echo. We even saw over 11 seasons of the Bachelor franchise. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us in our decennial series, This Decade in Geek. I feel like that's a bold prediction that we're going to do this in 10 years. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're not going to do this in 10 years. But no, be, be that it, somebody would have to like actually come back 10 years from now and check. Mm. So, you yeah. know. Yeah, and we're Good all going to be you. dead. We're all dead. You're listening to this right now. You're not going to make it out of these. You're alive. In, in, we'll try a little thought experiment. Mm? In 10 years from now, if you're listening to the second episode of this decennial series, decennial series, Take your time machine and come back here and join us right now. Yeah, we've got a seat open for you. I was thinking it was going to be a knock on how long it takes us to put out an episode. Because it'll be about (laughs) 10 years before this gets edited. All right, 10 years. Uh, Oh, nobody came. 10 years. I don't think we're going to... Yeah. So what... You had some weird uh, call-outs on that. I'm 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 not sure about some of those. End of Lost? Lost ended in 2010. Sure, but when did it start? That doesn't matter. It ended in 2010. Oh, boo. Well, boo. Far too long before. I think shows that, you know, we should talk about the things that happened only within that, like, decade. 10 to 20. So it had to start in the decade and end in the decade? Yes, exactly. All right. Well, Game of Thrones fits that bill. Game of Thrones. So let's talk, we're going to talk about peak TV first. Sure, let's do it. We are definitely in peak TV. If I had been more prepared, I would know the person whose name of the name of the person who, who came up with, with peak, peak TV. TV. Someone actually in the fan peak. club. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to start uh, Christine Lawrence, who knows the name. So just look it up. That's how we're going to do it. Stupidest <laughs> way possible. Uh, yes. So, yeah, there's so much good content out. Well, and just to, to prime this conversation a little bit, the landscape of television changed right. so much. Right. We saw, you know, again, like the rise of streaming. We saw Netflix right. and all of these other places go almost exclusively online now now hang on a second i i had netflix before 2010 you did but i actually we've talked about this i remember my first streaming experience with netflix which probably happened within the last decade maybe just barely beforehand and it was arduous it was oh god (laughs) what was it uh boy and his dog it was available as (laughs) a stream buffered imagine that movie also buffered it's it was horrible but now of course this is the new norm well it's so effortless and then the because there's so many places you can go to get your television it just has to be better yeah i'll throw out peak tv um mr robot which is just finishing up in a week and on the streaming service usa network (laughs) on on a normal television network Yeah. yeah but a television network that at the beginning of this decade used to be known for, like, dumb buddy shows. Like, their lo- slogan was characters welcome, oh, and they yeah. were like, the lawyer duo, <laughs> the crime duo, the this duo. Are you talking down about Psych? I think he and, is. And I the... loved, no, I loved Psych and Burn Notice, and but that sort of show worked at the beginning of this decade and didn't at the end of it because 
There were so many of those on television. You needed to differentiate yourself. I'm going to follow up on that and just say with this decade in television, I think we saw the rise of what's called prestige television. Yeah. Uh, all of these like uh, long-term stories, uh, deep characterizations. Right. So um, cutting back to Lost yes. is that Lost was sort of the beginning of that in a way, but also did not carry through right like infamously lost sort of like meandered and didn't know how it was going to end it was lost i don't it was lost uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, everything things that have come out since then have been cohesive stories lots of times they've been written beginning middle and end it's all done they knew where this was going and game of thrones but more or less <laughs> not, they know where it's going wink. yeah what about you guys what's some of the best television you think you watched this decade I think something that has come and gone this decade was Marvel Netflix series. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. We had Daredevil come in. Like, what year was that? Uh, We'd have done no research. Yeah. No, no, a was, year. A Probably year. some year. Some year yeah, in this yeah, decade. Most likely. And, like, and that uh, drew attention and, like, hooked everybody here on the network. Mm-hmm. Then Wait, we... Netflix can pay to do a TV series? Yeah. Imagine what? that. Netflix yeah. can pay more money than you'd ever imagine. So the the Marvel Netflix universe started in 2015 and ended officially like 2019. Right, it kind of boomed and then busted in the end, and which is kind of a sad fall. But when it when it first started, it was really hot. And mm-hmm. I and honestly, I I'll still want to go back and watch those things because what they had out there before the end, I enjoyed. And it's uh, it's a weird period because uh, so I think another wise man, unless it turns out to be James, in which case I'm not calling him a wise man, <laughs> said that like uh, where movies have became became more streamlined and uh, sort of mass media, you you were looking for the lowest common denominator, something that every all audiences could watch. TV went and became super highbrow, uh, and yeah, it's it's it, there's I think two different thoughts were going here. One, the rise of streaming, and the other one was the the prestige format. But the prestige format, one of the reasons why it's so important is that, yeah, if you've got mass competition for getting people to subscribe to your content, then you have to make sure your content is top-notch. If you can't get volume, like if people really do get sick of watching Small Wonder and ALF, then like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, it's unbelievable. But if they do, then eventually they're going to have to stick around for something. Well, even... Even, you know, you mentioned like Small Wonder and Alf, even our uh, small comedy sort of stuff in the decade has changed, right? Look at shows like uh, Community, The Good Place, Parks and Rec, yeah. right? The interconnecting threads and strong character development becomes so much more important to these things because you need to have a reason why people are going to come back intentionally to your television as compared to just flipping through. Yeah. And we've seen the almost complete death of uh, the live before a studio audience sitcom. Oh yeah. And the situational comedy is pretty much, I don't want to say gone, but it is, it is, it's in its decline because you want narrative arc that keeps you back every time. Right. Even, Mm -hmm. even sitcoms that have come back in the last decade, like, um, that Let's one say, with Full House. Fuller House? Probably. Fuller House, Fuller, yeah. Guess the name. Fuller House, even that had somewhat more of a uh, narrative arc through the season yeah. because it had to, because that's what people have come to expect. Girl Meets World was the same way? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not ashamed to admit it. You shouldn't be. Well, so that brings me to an interesting thing. Revivals. 
Yeah. Right? Okay. Well, it's not like completely uncommon. We've got like Firefly and the movie and that sort of stuff and Futurama that kind of take place right before this decade. But again, with so much, with this idea that people only turn it, tune in to stuff they already know or using that as a big hook, you get Fuller House, you get, uh, what did we get? Um, Roseanne. Roseanne, Roseanne, Will and Grace. Yeah. Right? Uh, Murphy whole... Brown, yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the one of the other features of this decade, which we're probably going to talk about when we get into film, is that because franchise and big media companies are such a huge thing, uh, bigger now than perhaps ever before, uh, you got to bank. You got to make sure that the thing you're looking for, the thing you're trying to uh, put money behind to produce, ha- will capture enough eyeballs. So you're more likely to reboot a 80s sitcom that was popular than try something new. That's not entirely true, Boo. We get experimental stuff the in this decade, but you also see a lot of effort being put into like mass media nostalgia properties. It's like the old saying, you know, everything old is still old, but we're gonna do it again. Yeah, let's let's not uh, Disney Plus, right? Big streaming giant just just entered a few months ago. Not although it's not a decade old, it's but it was a decade's worth of strategic buying that made their platform where they can buy Fox and all its properties. It bought Lucasfilm and all these things. So on the one hand, you've got the prestige properties. You've got Mandalorian, which made people love Star Wars again. And on the other hand, you've got this darn cat. I mean, I <laughs> bought it for maybe both. Part of me was like, well, it's got some new content that I can't wait to see. But also... I demand access cat. to my Fred McMurray cartoon uh, exactly. content. And yeah, and when I'm sitting with my family trying to, you know, save off the apocalypse, we're both <laughs> enjoying the both both products. The million good, dollar duck. It's good to know that the internet's going to keep us through the next 10 years of the apocalypse. Oh, 100%. Content is there just so that we will be okay with uploading our minds to the cloud and it crashes and then we die <laughs> i think another i think we also saw a lot of um a lot more of adult animation so like yeah. because netflix is willing to experiment with more stuff like i go back to bojack horseman which ended up being like a really big surprise when it came out because it would seem like such a weird concept but it's such a great show you know and i think you know you're even seeing now right here at the end of the decade other people buying into that. Marvel's working on something coming up that's animation more towards adults. DC just released the Harley Quinn show. Um, Very much for adults. You yeah. know, so we've got a lot of a lot of that where The Simpsons, Futurama, well, they've always been more appreciated, I think, by adults. It definitely walked a line where we were like, yeah, but our kids watch it and they think the visual gags are funny, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think my parents would have let me watch Archer. No. At all. Yeah. Yeah, but Archer's, but Archer's another good example. <laughs> but how do we explain away Napoleon Dynamite? Well, I mean, not <laughs> everything not everything on TV was uh, going to be a hit this year. How many lost wannabes do we have? Flash Forward, The Event? I have no idea any of the things you're saying. <laughs> they were all, <laughs> it's all, all clicks and whistles. All lost wannabe TV shows that NBC tried yeah. and ABC tried. So, I, but like part of this, part of the, the rise of streaming... Actually, maybe we could talk about this before we go into movies, because I keep teasing it. Let's do it. But I don't own anything anymore. That's not true. <laughs> I do. I still kind of, but I'm old. So I still buy DVD box sets. I said Blu-ray, whatever. I still get that. And I know you're shocked. And that's why you, you're you all horrified right now. But no, I still do that. But I, I have yet to ever put them in anything to watch. Yeah, I, I think- just don't watch it. 
that's my total thing too. I buy it just in case, you know, as we look at the next decade and the streaming wars, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I will buy things and I'm like, this was really good. And if really I ever want to revisit it, still, <laughs> if I ever really want to revisit it, I'm going to need it, you know, because there's definitely going to be a while there where content's going to be spread out among too much stuff. And I'm maybe not going to be paying for that thing. Um, but yeah, I've also never actually returned to watch it at any point this decade. We- so. People in this room have uh, confessed to streaming things from a computer because they couldn't be bothered to go get the DVD in the other room. This is true. Yeah. I mean, I've done it. I, I own things where I'm like, well, we, uh, what was it? What do we do the late, to the party on with Russell? Um, uh, Neon Genesis, oh, right? Yeah. It was, everybody was like, here, borrow my DVDs. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I got it. But like, we got to walk to the machine once? No. What? Just think I'm, of like, it was only like, 20 years before where it was all about swapping VHS tapes I used and to do trying it. to like yeah, oh, yeah doing all that stuff yeah. like like the old school anime watching like you had to go through an ordeal yeah. to find like even a somewhat recent episode yeah but now it's all it's I mean like they're doing simulcasts like with for like the Japanese dub and the uh, Japanese version of the English dub honestly there's another aspect here is paralysis of choice there mm. is so much out there that I'm like I have no idea where to begin let me just watch parks of rex again <laughs> i was about to say but that's where that's where the streaming is winning that's where disney plus comes in it's like you could just rewatch all of recess remember that from your childhood it was great yeah but that's in my watch list and i haven't gotten around to it because <laughs> i'm still remembering all of ducktales and then do ducktales 2017 well, let's, oh yeah recess that was the show that was on when i was in college well mm. let's before we jump out of television i want to focus really quickly on children's television so we saw i think there was like a big shift in children's television this decade because yeah, now saw- you have to pay for sesame street no no so oh, uh, that is a big, that a big thing no so that that that's not entirely true but um you know so we did we saw a shift in where children's television comes from right so uh you know the children's television we knew is like sesame street and mm. pbs and all access sort of stuff they're running out of money so they are getting private partners right um and then the all of the like saturday morning blocks all of the all of that stuff went away Mm -hmm. and we're left with two dedicated channels for children's programming uh, three or four if you include the couple of disney channels right yeah they're little satellite networks so for whatever reason we condensed children's programming but i still think we got a lot of peak children's programming as well programming that you know became a bit smarter right we had uh, the legend of Korra, right the return mm. of the avatar universe which was incredible we had uh, gravity falls which we recently did a rewatch of here on the network which mm-hmm. you know has just more meat to it than your average kid show and it's certainly enjoyable by kids but you know there's there's a reason why they want to get parents and adults sitting down and watching this and it's it's different than the days of My Little Pony and Care Bears, you know? Uh, yeah, I think the and I think in this case you can't even go to a full decade because you're talking about kids. Mm. So like you're talking about kids, you're talking about a person who was a young child at the beginning of the decade, they're an adult by the end. So um, That's true. I think like it's smaller chunks you have to do and in this one, especially in the back end of this decade, I think we're going away from almost any of these programs being like I don't know if there's must see TV for kids anymore. I don't, I'm not sure. There's some some Steven streaming Universe. shows. Even then, I'm, most of the people I've seen <laughs> yeah, w- adults. are adults who yeah. like that. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, that's very uh, true. If you're not Finger Family uh, and, or selling some sort of baby shark thing, 
Dopa, the, Copa. I don't honestly, know. Not most, get of, to that. most of the most see, must-see stuff for kids is on YouTube. Yeah, well, for now. Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how the future goes, but this isn't about the future. This is about the not-so-distant past. Pete was talking about how there's so little television filmed in front of a live studio audience, but SNL is still going strong. We have the SNL nerds here on the network going to have a lot of opinions about comedy in the past decade. So let's toss it over to them. Hey guys, this is uh, John and Darren. Uh, we do a show on the non-productive uh, network called the SNL Nerds, where we talk all about Saturday Night Live. That's right. And uh, we were asked to do a little special thing, a little promo Ooh. thing for our show. Ah. And uh, since it's the end of the decade... End of an era. End of an era. Uh, we were asked to do talk about like comedy in the last decade. and Yeah. Lot, and, I mean, as far as comedy goes, it's... it's uh, Taking quite uh, some leaps and bounds throughout this whole decade, mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of, I mean, in late night comedy, a lot of, a lot of changes going on. I mean, yeah, Letterman retired, Colbert uh, takes over, Colbert takes over, John Stewart leaves the Daily Show, yeah. Trevor Noah takes that over, Conan O'Brien starts his TBS show, yeah, uh, uh, Jimmy we, Kimmel's still around, yeah, Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> we got James Corden, we had. Um, Fallon, he's still doing stuff. Yeah, Craig Ferguson uh, yeah, retires he, from the late night game. He bounced. Uh, and, yeah, and this all happened like in very quick su- succession. Yeah, Lily Singh is, is yeah the thing. Yeah, a YouTube star. Yeah, um, you, from YouTube to TV tube. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and like there's so many different new mediums too, and venues. And right, right. I mean, like, I mean there's more. Um, there's more stand-up com- uh, specials coming out on... I mean, of course, Netflix. That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Amazon Prime, they're putting out a couple specials here and there. Yeah. I mean, then, of course, you have the the uh, you know the, the main guard, of course, HBO, Showtime. Just just specials galore, just everywhere. And, and there's, there's so much content out there now. It's tough to just keep up with everything. Yeah, and like sometimes people even just put out a special to, just straight to YouTube like uh I mean I know Nick DiPaolo did that like mm-hmm. he, I mean he was like that he's like one of those like you know uh conservative comics and his comedies Oh, I've heard of them. You yeah, you've yeah. heard of them? I, I've heard of those. <laughs> yes. Like I remember seeing the, the commercial for it or the commercial the trailer for it and it was like, "Oh, he's too edgy for Comedy Central. He's too raw for Netflix. You can only see him on you and that just I don't, that, that was he in fact too too raw or I, too edgy? I, I, no, I didn't want to watch that. Yeah, okay. I, was just like, I haven't even seen the promo. Yeah, oh Jesus! So. <laughs> His promo was too edgy for you. It to was watch. too edgy. I was just like, oh no, this will offend my delicate sensibilities. Oh, oh let me get my smelling salts. <laughs> I have to fend myself. Yeah, it's so. Uh, I mean, yeah, people are putting out on specials on YouTube. Just there are just specials everywhere. Like, I mean, a lot of comedians, you know, my, you know, myself included, have been saying like. With all these specials, are the are specials really special anymore? Because it used to be that used to be a yeah. special because you'd had like you know you've been working on your act for years and years, and you had mm-hmm. all this like really amazing stuff. So like you had an hour's worth of stuff you wanted to put out, and it'd yeah. be very like a like a rare event type of thing. But mm-hmm. now specials mm-hmm. come dime a dozen. Yeah, and it's it's like it's, that's the downside of having so much content is there's so much it's tough to keep up with it all. Yeah, you, and I I feel like very behind on most everything. Yeah, I know a lot days. of stuff gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, uh, who, who just, I mean, tons of who Nikki Glazer just put out a special. Yeah, Dan Soder put out a special. Michelle Wolf put out a special. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish put out a special, and that's just on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ronnie Chen put out a special. Like, and, like they're like literally like. 
like a dozen specials a month. Yeah, point. my Netflix queue. I've got just dozens of comedy specials that I either haven't gotten to watch yet, or I've started and have not been able to finish them. Not because of any reflection of the quality yeah. of them, but it's just like I'm watching late. Netflix late at night and I will fall asleep. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so, it's a lot. I mean, have you seen a special like this decade that like really stuck, stands out in your mind? Is there anything like that? Boy, um, I, I, it's tough for me to come up with like a list off the top of my head. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the first one that occurs to me was Patton Oswalt's special Annihilation. Yes. I thought that was pretty exceptional. We talked a lot about uh, the unexpected death of his wife, uh, Michelle McNamara, mm. and how he dealt with that and how he came back from that and, and all that stuff. And he just, converting all this horrible stuff that had happened to him right. into comedy, I, I thought that was pretty exceptional. But but Patton has always been one of my comedy idols, so right. I was I was primed to be impressed with that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, that's a great one. Uh, I mean, I've seen a number of specials. I mean, I saw Chappelle specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one he came out with the Sticks and Stones, I wasn't too wild about. Uh-huh. But like he, the other ones, uh, I thought were pretty amazing. Like uh, yeah. Bird Revelations and the um, Equanimity mm-hmm. one, I thought were pretty spot on. Uh, Bill Burr's last special, uh, Paper Tiger, I thought was was pretty good. I haven't seen that. I need uh, to. It's good. Watch it's, that. I I thought the start of it was a little touch and go, but he has he. The end was pretty strong, and the, mid- the middle part, he, he makes some really great points. Uh-huh. And um, another comedian who I'm really getting into these days is that Roy Wood Jr. I thought oh, his, yeah. his two specials were really, really strong. Uh-huh. The uh, the first one was a father figure, I believe, and then he last one was uh, Nobody Loves You. I think. Okay. Yeah, no one, no one loves you. And those like, haven't been on my radar. I should check those. Uh, out. They're both on Comedy Central, but like, check them out. Like, I recommend those two highly. I I really love those two specials. I think like Roy Wood Jr. is like my like my new guy, like every mm-hmm. I really want to. I'm gonna. I really want to see him live because I really. Yeah, are, see are there like some comics that you have gotten into in the last few years or in the last decade that maybe you? And it doesn't even have to be a new comedian. It just could be somebody you just got into more in the uh, last few years. Um. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Roy Wood Jr. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson. I've been getting into She's really a lot. We, we got to see her live a yeah. few months back. She she did. Uh. Yeah. We saw her live at a Levity Live. Yeah. Not live. Yeah. Um, in, in Nyack, New York. In Check the, them out. They're, yeah. they're in the uh in the mall. What's in the mall? Uh, Palisades. The, the Palisades. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean. She's a fantastic stand-up. She's super young, but like a lot she's of the still in her twenties. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of, and but she's like light years ahead of her her age. Like, and I, we we both walked out of that show. We were just both both like, oh, we need to write more. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I set my joke book on fire. Sometimes you see somebody who's like so good, it's almost depressing because it's just they're so far ahead of where. Yeah, you, and and that's not a good thing to do to yourself because everybody has their own pace and their own you're, you're right. really only competing against yourself yeah absolutely. and you're, you're just always you should just be trying to make yourself better than you already are yeah very much uh, so. instead of beating yourself up about where you're not and that's that's an easy trap to fall into right but i mean taylor tomlinson but, she's been on conan she's been on fallon she's been on um i think Col- i believe colbert i'm not 100 percent sure but just mm-hmm. check her out like she uh she has a 15 minute uh special on uh, netflix and she just filmed her hour special on netflix which will be out soon mm-hmm. probably i believe next year uh, Sam Jay is another comic who I really like. Uh, she writes for uh, she writes for SNL. She's an SNL mm-hmm. writer, and but you know she's a black queer woman, and uh, she has like a very interesting point of view of things. Like I really enjoy her comedy. And th- yeah, that's another thing is like we've had an explosion of different voices. We we have 
certainly more diversity in comedy, I think, than we had a decade ago. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Ali Wong came out with two specials, two strong specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baby Cobra and uh, Tiger Mom, I believe is... Uh, I yeah. I don't remember the name of her second special off the top of my head, but yeah, she's. I mean, she blew up this year, uh, uh, incredibly. The Hannah Gadsby, the Nanette special, yeah. that went that super was viral everywhere. That that changed the game. That really shook yeah. things up. Like, I mean, some people hated it, saying, "Oh, it's not com- it's not stand up comedy," but right. it, it is a form of comedy. It's like mm-hmm. I think even she said, "I saw the special. I I, I dug it," but like as far as stand, it's more of a one woman. Kind of type of show, yeah, or one person, or however you say it, type of show than like straight up stand up comedy, but it did have mm-hmm. some very comedic elements to it. That was great. And like, um, she, I mean, she really took some risks. It was very, very edgy and like very like kind of daring and and whatnot. And and like also in that vein, we had things. We had like a couple of huge people in comedy were brought down. Yes, like like Bill Cosby and Louis C.K. Like heinous. Shit that they had done. Yeah, and those those really seemed out of nowhere. Yeah, but. like that was. I mean, yeah, this, that happened this decade, and it's just like institutions in this comedy world, and they were just like yeah. taken down. Like, I mean, a lot of canceling this uh, this decade. Yeah, too. and it's. I mean, it, it was it was incredibly surprising to 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 hear those things, and you, you have the disbelief at first, and then you have the gradual realization. Oh shit! No, they actually were doing all that heinous shit, and yeah. they were not the people we thought they were. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's and it's it, rough. like the Louis C.K. thing in particular that that really threw me for a loop because he was one of my comedy idols, and now I can't. It, I have a tough time listening to him. Yeah, I mean, it definitely like brings up the question, like, well, can you separate art from the artist type of thing? Like, I mean, yeah. it, 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 you know, like same thing like with R. Kelly and Michael Jackson and mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know Harvey Weinstein and whatnot. Like, I mean, there, it, it is like a thing where like a lot of people are doing now, where like once all the stuff comes out, they're like, oh, I, like, I've seen people say, oh, I never liked Louis C.K. Like, oh, I never liked Cosby. I never thought. Of, yeah, and even that's like I. You're like, oh, really? Did you really? Yeah. I mean, you can be a terrible person and be very talented too. So absolutely. I mean, yeah. to say like, we're like, living proof. Yeah. Right. Hey. <laughs> hey. At SNL Nerd Show. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> we're uh, terrible people, but we're funny. That's our new tagline we'll make for you, the podcast. We'll make you laugh. But yeah, it's like one of the things. Can you separate the art from the artist? Like that. Uh, mm-hmm. That question really came in. To question, like, throughout yeah. all this uh, stuff that was happening. And I think a lot of people have had to kind of adjust where they are or what they do or... Right. I mean, and I think I think, uh, in in the broad sense, that's a good thing. Yeah. That, and and it's, it's good that we have more voices at the table and it's good that, like, some people are questioning some of their long-held assumptions and right. stuff like that. This, this ended up so much more serious than yeah, this, uh, this, I was expecting. Is this a drama? <laughs> I know. <laughs> doing the, I know. We, the drama of 2010? We don't usually go this, uh, this serious or this deep. But l- let's, let's talk a little, uh, because we actually both got into doing comedy professionally in yeah. the last decade. I've been, we did? Yeah, I've been doing, uh, I started uh, comedy like seriously in in like 2011. Yeah, I and, start, I uh, started around 2010 like when I moved 20, to Jersey. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it started off doing, you know, doing bar shows. Uh I took a class, a comedy class to figure out how to get my uh-huh. my foot in the door and uh I mean that was it was pretty helpful to do that just cuz uh, Yeah. yeah cuz I mean you're just in you're just in front of all these other students, all these other people who don't know how to do comedy and mm-hmm. you know, as you kind of get your rhythm and learn about who you are and try to find your voice, it's good to do that in front of 
people who like are doing the same thing. And then after that, you do it in front of an audience, and then you kind of learn your chops and figure out, you know, your like I said, your voice and how to stand and how to interact with people, the audience, how to hold the mic, how, how to hold to... the mic, put the stand to the side. Well, and there, there, are, there are certain little mechanical things that you have to get, yeah. and then and you can you can you develop an eye for when somebody doesn't know that stuff quite yet, and it's yeah. Kind of, amusing exactly when somebody's just like the mic is still in the stand and they're holding onto the mic in the stand for dear life mm -hmm, you're like mm -hmm. oh that's a newbie yeah, it's, yeah. He's, he's just a little duck or they're, or they're holding the mic like really high and it's like covering their half their face yeah like a rapper yeah <laughs> what's up y'all yeah. yeah like that's that's something i've tried to be conscious of you know you hold the mic low and you keep that so people can can see your face and see your expressions because that can really enhance yeah. your your comedy and your material. And Absolutely. Well, I mean, well, I, mean I, I didn't even ask you. Like, are hmm. there any comedians throughout the second that you've discovered or that you like or any specials? Or no, not at all. I have no. Oh, okay. Um, no, um, <laughs> I don't care for comedy. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. I I do not. Um, <laughs> uh, there are there are a few. Um, like another one I was was impressed by recently uh, was uh, Gary Goldman's last right. special, The Great Depression. Yeah, yeah. Um, where he talked about he went through this huge bout of depression and he was like moved in with his mother and and like for months he was hardly able to get out of bed and he, he talked about that very frankly and it was uh, I was very impressed with that. Right. Um, I thought that was that was good. Um, yeah, I think for like a lot of comedy it, it's uh, like that and the, uh, the Patton Oswalt when you're talking mm -hmm. about a very serious topic yeah it's you want to talk about it but you want to find like the humor in it too or else you yeah. don't want to get so down and depressing depressed in it that like it just becomes like like a ted talk like you're talking about your problems you got like yeah this has to be funny and that's that's the thing that i love about comedy is that you can take those horrible things and make something good and amusing and true right about it i mean i think i think that's the beauty of comedy is that you're you're you can take the the bad things that happen to you in your right. life and you can make something good out right. of it. right it's not like you're making light of it like but you're just trying to find the humor in it mm -hmm. and in that you can be okay with it and that and that can help like other people deal too yeah absolutely so, yeah so that's that's good. That's good. <laughs> funny is good. Com comedy's good. Comedy good. Um, comedy am good. <laughs> but anyway, th those are our very rough, unformed thoughts on comedy in the last decade. Yes. Um, but we've got a show on the non-productive network called the SNL Nerds, where we talk about our opinions over the one specific show on Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. And. And we say stuff. Yeah, and things. And we have <laughs> opinions. And we go on weird tangents. Yeah. Uh, Adam Driver impressions. We got him. Yeah. Oh. He <laughs> needs to know that I fought for him. Aha, uh -huh, see? Yeah. How about that? You, you Don't you want to hear more of that? Sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, we do lots of mediocre impressions of various celebrities. <laughs> we have we have Adam Sandler, oh, but you who, who comes on and uh, oh oh, oh uh, and uh, that sounded that sounded like sexual. Yeah, that was Adam Sandler like in mid orgasm. Yeah, so, oh, oh. So if if you enjoy that sort of thing, check out the SNL Nerds show. Yeah, if you want to hear Adam Sandler climax, come listen to our podcast. Yeah, that's where we're leaving it. Uh, Adam Sandler climaxing. Deal with that. Woo. Uh.
let's talk about movies because this leaks into all of the stuff we've been saying about TV. Absolutely. The rise of the franchise. They've, oh they've been around forever. Not, not saying that they haven't. Actually, what was the earliest franchise you could think of? There was Casablanca, Casablanca 2, The Revenge of Doe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Casablanca 3, Breaking 4. Very weird. I mean, well, you could think about the uh, like the the Flash Gordon serials, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Superman um, movies, the old Superman, Superman like, seventy eight Superman. Mon- the monster movies, right? King Kong, things like that. They yeah. would have repeat right. yeah. characters yeah. and things. Yeah. Godzilla. Yeah, they were very. Big. They were limited. They they existed, yeah. but they were they they haven't they didn't reach their peak. Mm. I think, for all we know, I don't think they've ever been as powerful. Certainly not as billion dollar yeah. industries. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, you, you very rarely had the the franchise that shares a universe with another franchise. Right. right. I, I mean, let's just go right into it. The two big ones are Marvel and Star Wars. Marvel starts with Iron Man and in DC. I want to talk about all three because I think all right, and DC. We, we need to talk about the Marvel, failures as well. Marvel Arguable. starts in 2008 with Iron Man and Hulk. Disney buys Marvel, all of Marvel in 2009. The mm-hmm. first published, Disney published Marvel movie after all their deals with Paramount and all that stuff comes together in, is finalized in 2012 with The Avengers. Right. Wow. Which is, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but... Something that I never believed I would ever see. Yeah, we talked about this oh, yeah. at length. I don't want to go too fanboy yeah, over this yeah. stuff, but we do. We've talked about this at length in other podcasts. But the the thing that's strange about this for the decade is is I think like Pete said the the shared universe aspect because co- genre films, superhero films, had become like the new western, maybe half a decade beforehand or more. Right. Right, they were anyone could produce one, and they would make a lot of money. And you mm-hmm. could you could try to put a TV show called Heroes out, and people might watch it for a little while. But like, it wasn't until Marvel really dug their their claws in, where it kind of felt like you had to see all the Marvels to collect them all to make a uh, a story that was cohesive. Mm-hmm. That culminated at just last year with Endgame, literally a decade of filmmaking. Uh, it's very odd. To be in a world where that happened, and it's hard to picture what the post-franchise world will be. It ama- I don't. I'm not sure that we're going to see a post-franchise world per se. Um, this may be a concept that sticks around because the thing that amazed me most about the whole shared universe concept is I always knew that would work for the nerds. Yeah. Like we 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 were always going to buy into that. Yeah. We we always did. What amazed me is that. The normies followed along. Yeah. And now we're at the point where just a couple of days ago, here at the end of the decade, Netflix has announced that most of their Christmas movies that they've been (laughs) producing for the last few years are in a shared universe. Yeah. But I think, you know, as far as shared universes go, Frank says you got to talk about the failures. I mean, everybody tried to launch a shared universe, right? Yeah. Uh, The... Universal's monsters failed after one film, right? right. Uh, we're still technically waiting on the Arguably Godzilla two films. Maybe it depends on how you <laughs> excuse what <laughs> yeah. they say. Uh, you know, we're arguably still waiting on a Godzilla King Kong thing that they say is in a shared universe. But you know, Kong like, came out almost five years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Or Kong Skull Island came out almost this five years ago. This definitely feels like like pre two thousand ten shared universe. Where I it's mean, like, yeah, it is. Shut up. And then the, the King of the Monsters did pretty well root kong into that same universe uh, but 
But. Then, you know, like, the big failure is DC. Yeah. Which, I, I get, DC fans, you're going to argue with it, and I think you're right to argue with it. Because yeah. I don't want to call it a failure failure, but it it does feel like it's not fully baked. It feels like it was an afterthought, because I think mostly it was. And I almost understand why it was, because mm. when DC was first doing this with Man of Steel... When did Man of Steel come out? Why do we keep asking for dates? We didn't do any of the research. <laughs> Man of Steel. Close enough to the to the time Iron Man came out where it wasn't necessarily of the thought of, hey, l- these should all get linked no matter what. Easter eggs were still good in the, at this time. Man of Steel comes out in 2013 directed by Zack Snyder. Holy crap! That late? Yeah. That was 2004. No. <laughs> so, so, screw you. DC, So Avengers hits theaters in 2012. Then Man of Steel airs, and okay, that's everyone's fair. like, well, Avengers made a billion dollars. Wouldn't is, Justice League make a billion so dollars? If I had thought I, about that, you're right. That is much <laughs> more close to what actually happened. I think the big problem there was when Man of Steel went into production, DC was still banking on the kind of experimental uh, standalone superhero yeah. movies. And they were like, Like the, uh, the Batman. Batman. Yeah, Batman right? The Nolan verse Brat- right. Batman. But... I'm going to say literally right after that, Marvel changed their formula with things like the Winter Soldier and stuff like that. They started combining their heroes and they started making films that were a little different. Now, all of a sudden, the standalone superhero genre had transformed into other things. You're right. I Uh, I was going to say for me personally, um, the reason why part of the big reason why I couldn't get into I can't get into the DC universe is just have everything was kind of fractured and separate. You mentioned the Nolan films and you're like mm-hmm. you figured, okay, yeah, those are huge. Wouldn't it make sense for them to include us in this universe? But like, no, they want like obviously they wanted a new Batman with Affleck. Um, but now and but now even now, uh things are kind of messed up with the whole entire sequel to Suicide Squad is apparently gonna be completely different than the first one. Yeah. But with some returning actors, but it's a completely new story, but it's still the D C universe. It's yeah, it just seems so disorganized compared to marvel's well-oiled machine for the good and the ill <laughs> yeah well for for we don't want to i don't think we should spend too much time just trying to figure out what dc may have done wrong mm. but there was a couple of things there's i mean like part of it was not knowing they were going to do this to go into it because they were mm-hmm. thinking different films were being made and ultimately never gathering enough of the goodwill to build out, out on that mm. but I, the idea of there never being an after for the franchise cinema i don't know about that because i i see i mean we've seen burnout as well in the last 10 years so the other huge franchise there that was a franchise going in was star wars mm. yeah, and we, we're, we're i don't think we're gonna dive into whatever the hell happened to star wars we're on the eve we're not gonna talk about it because no one's seen it yet but we're on the eve of rise of skywalker coming out hopefully wrapping this whole thing up <laughs> so we can start over but like there was a there's a certain level of um, you're not doing this perfectly and this, because the franchise is so important to me because of so much nostalgia tied into it that if you don't do it perfectly, I'd rather you not do it at all. And depending on how powerful that becomes, that might haunt Marvel next. Yeah, I mean, for a while it did seem like that there was a lot of uh, Star Wars fatigue, especially after uh, The Last Jedi was so divisive. And it was like, okay, uh, things are going to slow down. Even like Marvel and Luke's film says, yes, we're going to slow down after like kind of like Solo didn't do well as expected. And he's like, okay, maybe 
they're going to ease up. Maybe Star Wars is going to take a break. But now we have like the Mandalorian out and all like on Disney Plus. We have some like a return of the Clone Wars cartoon. We have more stuff like you think it's going down, but then it just keeps on popping up. So I feel like it's transitioning never into ending. TV. Yeah, it's just it, I think it, it I think it honestly is never ending, which yeah. like not not mean it's good because like I like the stuff coming out, but like it's a little a little scary. It's like you think it's you try you try to keep on punching them, but like they they won't stay down for the ten count. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, I I don't think people who are making this content know what's going to happen either. Yeah. Just a brief aside: Marvel had two different franchise universes. They had their X Men thing. We forgot about that entirely. <laughs> that was a and legit thing. They tried two takes at Spider Man. True, they kept trying. I would say three, and one of them kind of stuck, and then we got a bit. Then the internet. Freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. To, just to clarify my point from before about not ever having a post-franchise universe, or world, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that individual franchises might get, might die out. Oh, yeah. The, like, we will have Marvel fatigue. We will have Star Wars fatigue. These are real things, and there'll be a day when they stop making Marvel movies. What I'm saying is I don't know that the format of shared universes is going to die out mm. that's interesting i think people have developed a taste i mean look how close we came this decade to having uh what was it uh 21 jump street 3 slash men in black 4 <laughs> yeah i think there is I, a, there's I'm a still flavor. on board for that I, yeah I, th- I think throw that out there. i think the shared universe is the reality tv of the 2010s. And I also think that mm. the amount of flack that franchises and shared universes and reboots get it doesn't outweigh the amount of money those things yeah. make. Mm. So, like, people are going to be up at arms probably in some regard about Ghostbusters <laughs> X, whatever that's going to be. Uh, but, you know, it's still going to make all the money. So, yeah. there you go. What about, um? so we don't only talk about Marvel, Star Wars, and DC. What about some other... Uh, Smaller, impactful, well, smaller, but some more standalone films from this decade. Uh, I'm going to start out with, I, I believe, the the action movie of the decade, if not longer, Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh, Mad Max was great. Nice. Uh, technically, it's a franchise, too, but, yeah. you know, when we hadn't seen something for a long time. I 100% thought you were going with John Wick. Also, oh. now. Oh, my <laughs> God. God. But John, John Wick? Wick? Yeah. John Wick meets Mad Max in... Matt's dream come true. <laughs> and they're not really shared universes, though. Although technically, both of those do overlap with the uh, with Philadelphia. Do uh, they? Oh yeah, uh, look it up on the internet. Okay, the movie Philadelphia. The movie Philadelphia. Tom Hanks aids. All right, that, that thing. Uh, yes, all right. fine. I'm going to throw out uh, the Planet of the Apes films, the new Planet of the Apes series, uh, <laughs> Dawn, Rise, and War. Okay, we and just, it, we just in can't that talk about a standalone movie, can we? Yeah, I'm thinking about this. Look, keep going. <laughs> um, Be genuine to yourselves. Only say the movies you really want to. Those were really great. Um, uh, I'll uh, here. I'll throw out two great standalone movies that gave us the start to two incredible directors who are now, okay. of course, doing franchises. But uh, Ex Machina, okay, uh, yes, which yes. is an incredible film. It's kind of the first time we saw uh, both Oscar Isaac and. Forget his name. He plays uh, Weasley and... Domhnall uh, Gleeson. Domhnall Gleeson, yeah. yep. Uh, and they acted together in what is, uh, you know, it's just an incredible movie. Uh, it did come out after Domhnall Force Awakens, Gleeson? though. Gleeson no, plays Weasley? It, it's, before, it's before Force Awakens. Wait, who? Weasley like and before. what? 
He's one of the Weasley twins. Is no, he? he's not one of the Weasley no, the twins. twins. He's, 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 he's older a, Weasley. Older oh, he's Bill. Bill? Yeah, he's Bill. The one. He's Bill. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry, that just blew my mind. The, the, the dragon researcher one, not the not the <laughs> yeah. sni- not the uh, ministry snitch, <laughs> not the not the one not we the don't cop. Like. Yeah. Um, not the TA or whatever the hell he was <laughs> in the first movie. And I was like, is this going to be important? Is there going to be a quiz afterwards? <laughs> and uh, Arrival, which gave us uh, Denise Velvenu, whose name I'm sure I'm butchering, um, but who went on to direct the Blade Runner sequel. And is currently working on Dune of all things. Oh God! So, Good luck. Uh, but Arrival is an incredible I didn't mean movie. That. It's a passive aggressive thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> He's got it's, his work cut out for him. Yeah, those are I'm gonna say two of my favorite films from the decade. As far as sci-fi is concerned, they're just incredible, and they're they're very informative to where we are now. You know, in the decade. I recall Gravity having a making a lot of waves. Gravity no, had a uh, huge pun intended. impact. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other non-franchise movies. Um, what, I guess, okay, one thing to think. Um, Nicholas Wending reference, um, I've also probably butchered that name, uh, Drive. I and, love Drive. Uh, Only God Forgives, unless you want to count movies where Ryan Gosling just stares as part as a franchise. I mean, I do love the Ryan Gosling <laughs> stares movies. The Ryan Gosling stares shared universe. <laughs> Please, someone map that out. If you could do it, please do it. What about you two? Every time Ryan Gosling stares in a movie, he's staring at Ryan Gosling in another movie. Oh my god, my mind is blown. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, man, I'm embarrassed because like, there's not a lot. I'm actually going into my internet-enabled phone. Another thing that game really big this decade. Uh, and because my brain is now mush, I can't yeah. do anything without it. And thinking of movies, uh, looking up a list of movies I've watched. There was uh, uh, there was Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, there you go. Which that's not a franchise. I, I maintain has no connection to any established franchise. It's, it's tough too because so many, like Frank pointed out with John Wick or, or the Dragons movies, like they, they became, became franchises. If you're if it's a good enough film, someone's going to try to do yeah. it. Bad Times at the El Royale, which has not uh. yet become a franchise, <laughs> but I would watch it if there was all so good. like non commit not connected to the last act that would blow my mind i got one for you frank kubo kubo yes oh yeah that's another great film i mean it it is a it is definitely a i'm looking through my list i noticed that a lot of them were streaming originals these are a lot of the more experimental Mm -hmm. films that get out there because you don't have to worry too much about how many seats and how many theaters you're in are on streaming devices but then again a lot of them are ridiculous reboot properties, the Jumanjis and what have you. I'm not saying that these aren't enjoyable, but it was it felt like a decade of best ofs, which could be fun. Best ofs are great, but there was definitely a moment, and it's come up quite a number of times. And I'm like, too much. I can't do another reboot. And then they'll then the third reboot in, and I'm like, all right, I'm back on. So Spider Man, amazing, amazing Spider Man. No, I can't do this. And then Tom Holland Spider Man, like, okay, I'm back on. <laughs> Into the Spider Verse. Yeah, um, it keeps going. Not 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 a franchise yet, but there's the Raid movies, uh, bringing in uh, Indonesian action cinema to the Western audience. The raids were great. One and two. One and two. There's supposed to be a third one. So when the third one com- comes out, then we'll revisit well, the whole entire we'll franchise. Be, we'll be officially back in the franchise boat. <laughs> Shape of Water. Oh, God. Oh, oh my God. There's I, another a whole. Uh, 
animal. I'm sorry, I'm literally looking at my list and then saying it out loud. But all the live action Disney movies, oh, which the is live action remake trend, brings us back to like that is I think that's peak again. We're overusing that peak nostalgia where it's just like let's just do a shadow cast of a famous movie with new actors and you'll pay to see it and it will make a billion dollars. I mean, you enjoy it. Go, go for it. That's cool. But it's a, it was an interesting, it's an interesting trend that just seems to keep on going. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I think now the next big thing to talk about, at least that's on our radar, is video games. Video games? Video games. games, Oh, the 2010 saw a lot of changes to the video game industry and video game culture uh, for good and the bad. Oh, God. But, uh, you just said video game culture, and a chill went up my spine. I, I got the, the little bile just oh. came up as those words come out, came oh, out of don't, my mouth. Don't, don't, don't hit stop on the podcast. We're not going to be judgmental, <laughs> the, probably. They, they added an extra pixel to the uh, the paddle on Pong, didn't they? Oh, yeah. There we go. I remember. That, that threw the whole damn thing off. Um, but we've seen a lo- lots of rise of different things. I mean, the one that was Minecraft, that was the 2010s. That started a huge thing on with uh, building simulators and survival simulators, which then would lead to battle royales in terms of Fortnite and player unknown battlegrounds and every other uh, shooter. Or even now we have Tetris Battle Royale. Yeah, everything is a battle royale now. Yes, that's everything the latest is fight thing. it out, which makes perfect sense. When you get to the point where like your AI is not gonna not gonna be good enough competition for your players, make the players fight each other. Well, <laughs> exactly. That is genius. Um, there was also Oh, another thing in terms of storytelling and actually actual gameplay, Dark Souls. The, the the du jour term now is the Dark Souls of X. If you make it like a platformer, it's the Dark Souls of platformers. If you make an RPG, it's the Dark Souls of RPGs. Everybody's, everybody compares games to Dark Souls, even if it has nothing to do with Dark Souls. It's like the old uh, Seinfeld meets X in television. Yeah. I mean, like the best way I've se- I've seen it, it was, uh, Dark Souls was kind of like a Super Mario event, where it just completely flipped the concept of what games can be on its head. I, uh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say you, we mentioned it in the opening, but one of the craziest things was just how we ingest games, right? So Twitch came out in 2011, which is crazy because it essentially means that people weren't streaming games like that. Until yeah. 2011. Oh, no, no, there was no, there was absolutely no streaming. There was, like, some very, like, poor early attempts at streaming. I, like, like oh, like, well, there's Twitch's predecessors, Justin TV, where they actually yeah. first started it. So we first created our Twitch channel and our Justin TV That's channel right. <laughs> at the same time. And it was for live video streaming of, like, production work at a podcast. Like, the way you would have, a co- uh, like, a camera on, a webcam on while you were recording your podcasts. Um, and even then it was like tertiary to like shoutcast or like <laughs> ways of listening to an MP3 stream. Like it's blew your mind away to the point where I, I remember the moment Twitch looked at Justin TV and said, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> you're not a, you just gonna, you're gonna just join the team. It's fine. Don't well, worry about it. And it didn't take long for Amazon to buy Twitch. Was yeah. it 2014? Something around that. Then. That's yeah. a huge growth, man. That's uh, insane. But yeah, it's like streaming has become a change kind of almost like the the economic outlook of gaming because like you have people like like making their living off of streaming games. You have yeah. people like actually spot being sponsored streams from like actual game developers like, hey, play my game um, and we'll pay you. 
Um, we've seen uh, community efforts like uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon. Oh, my goodness. That was insane. Yeah. I just, I'd never seen anything like it. It's it was so, so cool. awesome. And we've even seen, like, political act- activity on, um, or... Uh, we have definitely poli- seen political activism. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Politi- uh, political activ- uh, activism, um, activism, political. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've seen political activism. Um, AOC came onto somebody's stream who was playing Donkey Kong sixty four for transgender rights. Um, we've seen the rise of streaming has become almost ubiquitous amongst like gamers now. So what do you think the, the I don't know, we're not the future show. <laughs> I keep wanting to do this. But what do you think the future is going to be for this? I think it, I think it might bottle, bottom out. I don't. I, uh-oh. Did I question you guys at the point where you're like, oh, God, my career playing a game. <laughs> I, I just try to get a few subscribers. I, oh. I mean, you tell me, Matt, but I don't know if it will. I mean, people look at the gaming industry and it makes more money. Every AAA game release makes as much money as the six most successful films released this year. Keep in mind, those are all Disney films. Um, (laughs) You know, but every AAA game release is a billion plus dollars. And it's like opening night, a billion plus dollars. It's just such a lucrative industry that people are going to keep pushing. I'm not saying that game design or development is going to go away. I think... Right now, I think we've got a. I'm really curious to see what these numbers are, and you're never gonna not not in game development. But you're. I'd love to see how many people are making quote a living playing games and streaming it, and then how many people are just sort of making some supplementary income streaming games and and playing it, and how many people are just doing the hustle. Like it feels like to me, uh, just to so I'm not just an old man shaking my fist at the sky. It feels a lot like podcast advertising, <laughs> where like a lot of times I'll hear like, I, don't, I wonder how many people are actually making a living doing these things. You're not wrong, Frank. Um, uh, streaming is very difficult. Obviously, the people at the top they're making millions of dollars, oh, yeah. but there are before like every millionaire, there's like a thousand more people just doing the hustle, trying to get like their. Uh, get some followers get some subscribers get donations and i think if like if streaming goes under a lot a big part of it will be due to platform the platforms themselves i know youtube and twitch has been under fire uh recently in the past few years for like depending on policies on on like either uploading videos or content that's allowed or disallowed um also issues with like um harassment or and, oh, and things yeah. like that yeah. that like the, it's a it's a very delicate balance right now and i do think like it is completely possible that it, this is a bubble that will pop eventually mm. and i think we we have to we we try to keep things a little <clears throat> positive but like i think we do have to address like the same way we address the 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 what the hell is happening to star wars there's a little bit of what the hell is happening in gaming where there's there's a lot of Weird anger that happens, I think, in everything geek. Everything mm. geek, there's this weird kind of, like, um, uh, gatekeeper thing that happened where geek was not chic until maybe this decade. And now it's a, a friend of ours, uh, Jesse Barufi, has said that it was a monkey paws wish come true, geeks winning the culture wars. Mm. Where on the one hand, like, you get what you got what you wanted, but at what cost? <laughs> and I, I feel mean, like there's a, a lot of that going on in gaming. I mean, yes. I mean, God, was it 2010s? Was Gamergate that yeah. whole entire thing? And then, like, and then it all started because people were angry about a woman 
writing about video games essentially yeah uh and like for and, and i think we'll we'll set our flag down our opinion that that whole entire claim was complete bs and it was really it, it was just a harassment campaign against women and and, and but it has expanded against against like uh, against other minorities and also um people of different uh Everyone, of, of queer, of, of, of queer so, communities yeah um it's 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 it is kind of a monkey paw. We've seen almost like a wildfire of it might not. I'd I, I like to be positive and think it's not the the majority of community, but it's Certainly it's something that's vocal. spreading. It's a vocal and it's spreading, and it's kind of it's pretty scary. Yeah, it's really hard to determine how much of the jerks out there, how big a population they are. It's it's partially because, and we're going to talk about this a little later. Or is it's the internet. Because that's probably the biggest thing that's happened in the last 10 years. That makes it very difficult to see how much of it is white noise and how much of it is blown out of proportion because other, you know, it's weird. I have a, I have a young nephew who is, who wants to be a professional gamer and has never heard of Gamergate. Really? And he's deep into it. He knows, all, like he knows streamers. He wants to, he has, he wants to buy a rig. And I'm like, and I was grilling him on Thanksgiving because that's what you do. And I'm like, <laughs> are you lying to me? Are you one of them? You son of a, and he's like, what are you talking about? And then that's I aged 20 years <laughs> and then he recorded it and put it on TikTok. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Russians stole my identity. <laughs> all that happened. To kind of change the conversation back to uh, a little bit more uplifting, yeah, do yeah. we have any particular games we played this decade that like really stood out? I know for me, it's definitely going to be uh, probably Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, and The Last of Us are like super formative. I mean, for me, I've played a lot of games uh, this decade, uh, and a lot of them I love. But I think I do want I. I think I want to take this time to talk about one game in particular because I honestly think it's one of the most fascinating stories in the history of gaming. Uh, but especially this decade, and that's Final Fantasy XIV. I mean, Final Fantasy, lots of geeks know, uh, a famous Japanese RPG series. and um, But the story of fourteen, which was their second attempt at, a, at an online game, um, it's a very rare story of, of failure and rising from the ashes. Back in around 2010, the original Final Fantasy XIV came out. Um, it was universally panned. Um, the... It was poorly optimized. Um, one running joke was that there were more uh, graphic fidelity in a vase than the actual player models. Oh, um, I'm, but I was... but also in fact that like it just wasn't fun to play. Um, it, it ran poorly, and it only lasted um, within two years. But at the end of those two years, uh, Square Enix, the developers, brought in this uh, a new project lead, uh, Naoki Lushida. Who then took over for kind of the reboot of Final Fantasy XIV, uh, called A Realm Reborn. And at this point, I think you can honestly call it like a, a last hail mary. At the, um, by now, um, uh, Square Enix was kind of not doing so hot. Uh, it was coming. It was still re- feeling the effects of the Spirits Within movie. <laughs> uh, and I maybe around the, around this time, also Final Fantasy XIII came out, and that was highly divisive. Um, and so many people honestly thought that Final Fantasy was going to go away and maybe Square Enix was going to go under. And then when A Realm Reborn came out, uh, it was almost like a miracle. Uh, it was loved by critics, loved by players. It has grown hugely uh, since then. Um, 
and it has and it's and it's honestly dethroned World of Warcraft as the top uh, massively multiplayer online game uh, amongst uh, video game players. And it's honestly a heartwarming and a f- amazing, almost a miraculous story of 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 like rising from the ashes like a phoenix. And like right now, in you've seen so many superstars coming out of their team you had like Yoshida who was who being the project lead you had the composer of the game Masayoshi Soken who is now being compared to Nobuo Uematsu and Yoko Shimura and now with the latest release of Shadowbringers the latest uh, entry in Final Fantasy 14 we've seen the rise of Natsuko Ishikawa who uh, was in charge of the entire plot of the game and is and generally seemed to be one of the best Final Fantasy plots and stories of all time and got a three-minute ovation standing ovation at PAX East this year. Um, so, like, this, uh, the Final Fantasy XIV team seems to be, like, kind of like the future of Square Enix and has pretty much revitalized the whole entire company into the success it has today. It's it's having today. That's, that's fascinating compared to what my poll for best part for games in the last decade, which is the return or the rise of casual games. Like Pokemon Go or Pokemon Go, all the Nintendo phone app games that I'm like, all right, I play Dr. Mario with my mom. (laughs) Like uh, it's and then all the and, you know, Nintendo Switch, to be honest, a lot of those are a little bit more lighthearted games. Those things are party games. It's just the bar of entry for video games are so much easier for me now. Flappy Bird. Yeah, Flappy Bird. I just saw a list that listed Flappy Bird as one of the most influential games of the 2010s, and I can't disagree with it. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. it definitely is. All right. You know, we're talking about all these really important trends over the past decade. Let's toss it over to the Adventures in Collecting crew to talk about some of the most important trends in toys over the past 10 years. Are you ready, kids? Get your parents' permission, check your mailbox, and grab your shopping cart. It's time for the Adventures in Collecting podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. Welcome Welcome to to Adventures Adventures in Collecting, Collecting, where we talk toy news, culture, and hauls, along with our journeys as collectors. Happy holidays from Eric and Dave. (laughs) I didn't know we were doing that, so we're... <laughs> At the Adventures in Collecting podcast, uh, non, non-productive asked us to <laughs> chime in with some some toy-related things for uh, the decade of t- 2010 to 2019. 19. That's how counting works. Yeah, 10 years. Um, welcome, non-productive people. Hi, if you've never heard us before. Yes, hello. Um, I waved like you could see that he did, in fact, and then I waved back because yeah. that's just the way that things go here. Um, so, nonproductive asked us to um, to present uh, just something to represent the the toy industry and you know and and the fa- the many facets of toys. And I mean, we could sit here forever and talk about ten years of toys. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So we're not going to do that. Coincidentally, we sit here for about an hour every two weeks to do that. So. Um... You can find that at Adventures in Collecting on your podcast searches. Sure can. Um, And at AIC Podcast on your social media. At AIC AIC underscore underscore podcast. podcast. Yeah. So so what we're going to do is... I can't even get that going correctly. (laughs) So what we're going to do... So we can't count or give our stuff out. Oh my goodness. So what we're going to (laughs) do... 
<laughs> this is all staying in, by the way. A hundred percent. So what we're going to do is uh, in 10 years, we're just going to pick from the last 10 years, our favorite toy line each. Um, I'm going to go first. If you have never heard the podcast before, you will you don't know that I'm a big Star Wars collector. If you have, this is going to be old hat. But um, I in 2010 was the first year that the Star Wars Vintage Collection 3 and 3 quarter super articulated line was was introduced. And since then, it has been revolutionary for that scale. Um, the 3 and 3 quarter scale has been the, kind of the bread and butter for Star Wars for many, many years before the Black Series was introduced. Um those figures were standard articulated, you know, with the five points, you know, turny head, moving arms, moving legs. Um, the vintage collection added likenesses and posability like never before and really changed the face of how people were collecting Star Wars figures. Um, they were great for people who liked to collect on card because the that that vintage nostalgia driven uh, packaging was is beautiful and the figures, you know, had play value like never before. And to this day, though the the vintage collection over the past ten years has started and stopped, um, it is strongly going again. Um, there there are figures from the Rise of Skywalker that are in the vintage collection line, and they are just gorgeous. And I can't wait to see what uh what the next ten years has in store for Star Wars figures. All right, so mine is um. One of the things that I am a, a big collector of, and this actually, this one um, pick is going to be a, a very sentimental one because I think it's what got me back into the idea of figure collecting and um, just really kind of focusing on, yeah, like the just the straight up action figure collecting because I'd just been strictly pops at that point. Um and that is Mattel's WWE retro line that came out in 2017. Um, now it is is it is a line that has since been put on hiatus. So um, there hasn't been a new series since Series 10 that came out earlier this year. Um, but it is it's a really cool line because it it hit the uh, nostalgia box for me. Um, it it was kind of designed after the Hasbro figures from the early to mid 90s the the WWE figures um with the they were the smaller figures with the kind of motions or the um action features that they did like there were there were the jumper figures there were the body slam figures there were the clothesline figures um one of the new motions that Mattel added was a kicking motion um, there had never been any kind of leg specific motions before. Um, there were punching motions, um, back in the day, bear hugs, etc. But one of the cool things that Mattel did, um, was they kind of did it in a pickup where everything left off kind of mode. Um, so they did current modern wrestlers. They did like your attitude era wrestlers, which the the original line was done before that um they did wcw wrestlers which of course wcw had their own line back in the day um they did wrestlers that were supposed to be in previous series that never got made um by hasbro so there was there was some really cool stuff they did even some 
older wrestlers that predated the original Hasbro line. Um, so there were some really cool things that were in there. Um, really, the only kind of big repeat there was was um, Randy Savage and Ric Flair. Um, those were the only two repeats of the original Hasbro line. Um, and Ric Flair was more of a WCW Ric Flair. Randy Savage had an NWO Randy Savage, um, but then they made... There was supposed to be a green tights Randy Savage at one point, and so they made a green tights one. There was supposed to be a diesel. They made a diesel. Like so, that was that was some of the cool stuff with it. Um, and part of, and this has changed with the elites, but my entire retro collection is still mint on card. The ring is still in the box because part of what made that line cool to me was that the carding was very similar to the Hasbro carding. Um, and I just thought as a package, as a whole, it's something to be appreciated, uh, not just the figures themselves. So uh, thank you, Non-Pro, again, for, for bringing us on this year. Um, we're happy to contribute to the, the podcast, and Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, Happy New Year. As we wrap this up, a quick lightning round. Any other incredibly informative thing for you guys in the past 10 years that you know, that just doesn't fit into one of these categories. We talked about it. I, rage. I, rage. Rage. Rage on the internet. I'm serious. Like, we t- 10 years, this last 10 years has been, there's so much, and I think it overshadows everything else we've talked about. We talked about it briefly. There is just a lot of people just, we have way too much access to each other and not enough, like, looking at each other's faces while we talk. So there's a lot of anger about Star Wars or or video games or anything. It's awful. But it's also really cool because in the last 10 years, I can reach out to anybody through a podcast or any other medium and say, hey, here are my opinions. Please like them. Um, I have a softball one. I'm going to say Hamilton. (laughs) Rage about not getting (laughs) Hamilton tickets. I don't remember the uh, softball scene in that. No, but I mean... Pete, obviously you and I are, uh, you know, more show people, more musical people. We live here in New York, so we have access to Broadway. But I can't think of something, you know, that hit on the the level that Hamilton did as far as just widespread interest. It certainly changed the way we think of Broadway and Broadway tickets. It was, you know, for lack of a better term, a box office hit. You know, you don't necessarily have to agree that Hamilton was great to see how it's changed the way we look at musicals and oh, the you're way absolutely that right. we look at the potential for plays and these sorts of things to springboard into these international hits. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird that I'm not a big fan of it because it is exactly what I have been begging for out of Broadway. It's, I want more original stories and original musicals and not just the, okay, we're going to take an art or not, not even revivals. I, I don't mind revivals. I like revivals. Mm. I don't. What I have a problem is the okay. We're going to do a review of an artist's music. We're going to take oh, an artist's yeah. song catalog and like Turn it shoehorn into a shoehorn a plot into it. Mm. You know, yeah. Take that Art Garfunkel the musical. <laughs> Less jagged little pill the musical. Why? I'm sorry. Oh and, wow, that's real. And yeah, yeah. And, and I get that. Oh, and I think. You know, one of the cool things about Hamilton is it's just it's it's very inclusive and it takes a lot of people who weren't originally involved in the American story in that way and gives them the opportunity to be. So, uh, you know, you said as a fan of history, I like that 
I like that one of the big things from this decade was like, man, this historical figure is cool as compared to history is all terrible. Mm. <laughs> yes, we have experienced no bad history in the 2010s. I would say that in comics, there's um, I enjoy the new voices that are coming out. I like the the new styles. I like the fact that like. And this is kind of tied into like web comics or whatever, but like everyone who has a good story to tell has the ability to do so. Um, I wish more of them were paid a living wage <laughs> in doing this, mm-hmm. but it is it is nice to see that I can I, you know I could go out there and get a million different perspectives, yeah. and not just the same things over and over again. And speaking of the same things over and over again, it's nice at the very end of the decade to see the reemergence of Gary Larson and the Far Side. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah, in a way. I mean, there's actually finally a, an official home. Yeah. As of this, the... What, 25th anniversary of him stopping. No, the, the, the third third from last uh, Monday of the, uh, of the year, of the decade. Wow, that was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we now actually have Farside cartoons legally online. Woohoo! Uh, and hey, how can we forget this? Podcasts. Everyone has a podcast. Everyone. Every single person has a podcast. Hooray. Hey, and if you have a podcast, we might want to air it on the Nonproductive Network. But to prove it, subscribe to this podcast, like, follow, and do all the Patreon. This is going to work, right? This is going to get us. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely don't think it's going to work. Oh, yeah. No? All right. Yeah. Write us a review and then we'll give you your own show. Make sure to Patreon us on Twitch. Uh, write us a review and we'll give you your own show i am i am prepared to put my money where my mouth is write us a review on itunes and we will give you your own show that is legally binding offer not valid for alt-right podcast oh god you're right (laughs) first thing that well first thing's wrong with america there's not enough k's in it well al's not here so good night everybody happy decade Hooray! This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.